Good morning, everyone. Today's scripture reading is from Acts chapter 15, verses 8 through 12. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Well, how are you doing? How are you doing? Good. I'm okay. Glad I'm. I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Well, we're in Acts together again, once more. On and off throughout the year, we've been working through Acts to study and observe the early church, um, what God was doing in them, and what we need to also be doing as the church today uh, to um, emulate uh, uh, emulate their example. And the Christians in Acts have come a long way since Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 1, from where we started, when, uh, when the Jews were first confronted with the fact that Jesus, whom they crucified, was truly the Son of God. They've experienced persecution several times, and they've had their own internal struggles as well, but, but they've come a long way. Saul, who is now called Paul, uh, he, he's gone from persecuting to preaching. Uh, Gentiles, non-Jews, are now receiving the Holy Spirit, and they're being baptized as well. It's a great time in the early church. And so let's jump back in, Acts chapter 15, verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. Now you might be saying, we've been here before. I recognize that tree. Because you're right. We have been here before. Christians wondering what to do with these new Christians, wondering what to do about the old law, wondering what to do about their religious traditions and how that aligns with these new Christian converts. This is a problem that plagues the early church for years. And we've talked about this several times already in the year. You might be wondering, why do we need to be talking about these problems that the early church is having? Sure, Christians today are not trying to hold new Christian converts to standards and guidelines that existed in the time of Moses. If they were, well, then we need to be bringing those people to Acts, so uh, uh, a of the truth. But just because we are not experiencing the same problems that the early church is experiencing does not mean that we cannot benefit from their solution. The work that God is doing in these Christians through the Holy Spirit can still be done and is still being done in Christians today as often as we're willing to gather together and bear witness to the Word of God. Let me say that again. The work that God is doing in these Christians here in Acts through the Holy Spirit is still being done in Christians today as often as we are getting together 
and sharing in God's word. So as we look at the problems that they're dealing with, uh, specifically in Acts chapter 15, there's a lot that we can learn from how God's working through his people. And who knows, maybe their circumstances, their situations, their hurdles might be more relatable than they first appear. So on in Acts 15, in verse 4, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles and the elders, this is Barnabas and Paul, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said it is necessary to circumcise them in order to keep them, in, in, in order, and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. So Paul and Barnabas, they've been traveling, going city to city to share the gospel with much success. They returned to Jerusalem to address this problem that has arisen once again. You might remember a couple weeks ago, Peter was the first one who took the gospel to Gentiles in the conversion of Cornelius and his family in Acts chapter 10. Paul and Barnabas have been doing the same thing. As they travel, they're frequently stopping at the synagogue to share the gospel with Jews. And when the Jews are unwilling, Paul and Barnabas are, are willing to share the gospel with anyone who will listen. And that includes the Gentiles. And while Paul and Barnabas are sharing the great news of all these Christians coming to know Jesus here at the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15, a group of Christians who were previously Pharisees, a frequent opponent of Jesus during his life, they're contending that these Gentiles should be circumcised. Once again, doesn't this sound familiar? Because we just talked about this just a handful of chapters ago. About this time, Peter, who spoke on this issue just a few chapters ago, he, he says this in Acts chapter 15, verse 7. Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth, he's referring to Acts 10, by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to, to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related the signs and wonders that God was doing through them among the Gentiles. So Peter's already spoken on this matter that God is offering salvation to Gentiles, salvation through baptism to all people, not just the Israelites. But what Peter is saying is that the Israelites, by their own standards, were not worthy to have a relationship with God. I love this statement from Peter. Why are you placing a yoke on them that not even we have been able to bear? That yoke that he's talking about is the burden, the responsibility to uphold personal righteousness in such a way that surpasses what obedience to the law was ever able to achieve. Praise be to God that we do not bear that burden anymore, thanks to Jesus. But that does not mean that Christians are without responsibility. We'll come back to that in just a little bit later. But what Peter's reminding them is that God knows the hearts of these people. He's cleansed them. He's given them the Holy Spirit. 
All the Gentiles had to do was believe and be willing. And these Jewish Christians are, are still struggling with what that means, trying to understand that. And about this time in the argument in the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, James speaks up as well in verse 13. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agreed, just as it is written. And this is from Amos 9. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. When James speaks up, he says something that I think is pretty neat. He, he says that God went to the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. That's Old Testament covenant language. That's God goes to Ur and calls Abraham out so he would be a people for his name. That's God leading the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. God goes to the Gentiles and takes them to be his people. I will be their God and they shall be my people. You remember that? But James doesn't evoke the Old Testament as a religious burden like what the Pharisees were doing. He's using the Old Testament to remind these people who God is and what he wants for his people, what his plan is for his people. As a side note, that's just further proof that we should not be afraid to study the Old Testament as well. And, and then James recalls the prophets to further solidify what God has done he brings back in Amos chapter 9, and we could spend a long time talking about Amos 9 and how it relates to the gospel movement in Acts, and we will touch on it in just a, in just a moment. But if you want to hear more about Amos, we, we preached through uh, 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 the whole prophet uh, back in the month of May. Peter, James, Paul, and Barnabas are all suggesting different ideas in this argument, in, in the Jerusalem Council. But what they're saying about God is the same. What they're saying is God is the one who does all of the work. Gentiles are now becoming Christians not because of anything that they've done or, or who they are. It's because of what God has done in them. Gentiles didn't start suddenly becoming good people, so now all of a sudden, God's deciding that they're worthy to also be called his people. The reason that Gentile Christians are now God's people is because God took them, because God did the work. A couple months ago, we worked through the prophet Amos talking about our responsibility to be bearers of bad news, that people cannot keep living in sin forever. They cannot keep living apart from God forever. They cannot keep living faithless lives forever. And it's bad news because over time, people begin to love sin. They begin to grow comfortable in the decisions that, uh, that they make. They're more happy to lie in the bed that they've made. And when sinful lifestyles are taken away by a belief in God or a calloused heart is changed, because one comes to know the truth. It can seem like bad news to many people. And for Amos and Israel, God is going to punish those people 
especially punished the people who were supposed to be God's people. And when he looked for them to be his people, they were not. And even though Amos is full of this bad news message about how he's going to punish his people, God promises at the very end that once again, he's going to rebuild. And this is what he says at the end of Amos 9. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. They shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. You remember a couple weeks ago, we, we looked at the song of the vineyard in Isaiah 5. The vineyard that God so intimately and carefully worked on. When it came time to harvest the grapes, he, he looked for there to be precious grapes, the, the sweet grapes. And the grapes were sour. The grapes were wild. The vineyard was Israel. And when God was looking at his people, hoping to find people that looked like his people, there was no resemblance of God. There was no evidence that they were God's people. And even though that song ends with how God is going to tear the vineyard down, he includes a glimmer of hope here at the end. And the days are coming for you and for me when the mountains will flow with sweet wine, when the people will once again dwell in the, in the cities and be able to garden and live and never be uprooted again. What a beautiful image of what heaven might be like. The future where the fruit finally is visible among God's people doesn't come when the vineyard, when the people finally figure it out. The fruit doesn't come because Christians finally figure out the right spiritual formula. Do this and do this and do this, and then we'll finally get what God wants for us. No, God's the one who will restore the fortunes, it says in Amos 9. God is the one who will rebuild the ruins. God is the one who gives life when, because of our sin, we absolutely deserve death. God does all of the work. He does the planting and he does the replanting, the rebuilding. This is something I firmly believe that Christians around the world, especially in our country, need to re-realize. We can have salvation from our sins not because of anything that we've done and not even because anything that we're going to do, but because of everything that God has done for us. We can have salvation from our sins not because of anything that we've done or anything that we're going to do, but because of what God has done for you. The Gentiles are evidence that this is the case because they didn't earn it, but the evidence is clear that God was doing a great work in them. The witness of the Holy Spirit that Peter and Barnabas were talking about, it's not visible through their works, but it's visible in how God has transformed their hearts. But when there is heart transformation, well, there will be evidence. There will be good works. 
just think about the image of, of the vineyard again. The fruit doesn't come first. It comes after God does all the work. After God does the weeding and the pruning and removing the stones and the planting. After God has done all of his work. If the fruit is willing, if the vine is willing, if the seed is willing, well, the fruit will come. And if the fruit is truly God's, he will look for it and the wine will flow from the mountaintops, as it said in Amos 9. This morning, for the church here that meets at 74 South Spring Road in Westerville, Ohio, I'm not really concerned with how perfect we are, our individual righteousness. I'm, I'm, I'm really not even concerned with how many people that we have who are, who are worshiping here with us on Sundays, although it is exciting, you know, to see some new and returning faces. But I am curious, what is our fruit? Is the transformation that's taken place in our hearts visible to others? Because it was visible in the Gentiles. Does our church look like a group of people who have seen and heard something that is worth sharing, that is worth changing our lives for? Maggie and I love to watch TV shows and movies um, after the kids go to bed. That's, that's our time. We're sitting on the couch at the end of a long day watching a show. That's my happy place, in case you were wondering. But when we watch shows and movies, especially ones that are set in the early 90s, early 80s, or earlier, you know, before cell phones, I'm always a little frustrated with how little the main uh, characters will communicate. Is that something that you've seen? You're watching a show or a movie. There's all these different plot lines that are taking place, but if, if they would just slow down and talk about it, most of the problems could, re could be resolved in a cool 20 minutes. And sometimes I understand it, like before cell phones, you know, it wasn't as easy to get in touch with people. But if the characters were just communicate. Sometimes these major season-long problems could be resolved so much easier. That wouldn't make for very good TV, though. But isn't that the root of so many of the problems in our world today? That we can't communicate. One of the most beautiful things about what happens in Acts chapter 15 at the Jerusalem Council is when this big problem that keeps coming up and keeps coming up and keeps hitting the church time and time again, this big issue happens. Christians come together. And they talk about what God has done. And they talk about God's word together. And when they gather together and they spend time together in God's word, the Holy Spirit works through them and they emerge as a unified group. What a crazy idea that Christians would get together and talk about God. It's not the 80s anymore, so we can't blame not having a cell phone as a reason that we don't communicate well. Instead, maybe we could look at using some of those tools that the world has given us as an opportunity to share God's word. That's just a thought. This morning, I hope to leave us with just one idea. I mentioned it earlier. The work that God is doing in these Christians, 
here in Acts chapter 15 and the whole, the whole, whole New Testament for that matter is still being done in Christians today. As often as Christians are willing to gather together and share in God's word. God has weeded, God has removed stones, God has watered, God has planted, and when the buildings were destroyed, he gets down and he rebuilds. And after God has done all the work in our lives so that you and I could have life and have life abundant, are we meeting with other Christians to celebrate it, to grow in it, to share it? Christians have got to make studying God's word a priority, whether it's one-on-one or in small groups, in large classes, even online, use your phone. If you are not a Christian this morning, you need to know all that God has done for you. Everything that he's done so that you can have a chance to know your creator and truly know him, not just know him from afar. God didn't send his son to this world because of the great potential that he saw in you, that you could be a world changer. You could be. That's not why he sent his son. He sent his son to this world because he looked at you and you were his. And he was going to turn over every stone until you could know that and you could have life. If you are a Christian, what fruit are we growing? What fruit are we giving to other people? And what fruit are we allowing other people to give us? We know what God's done for us. We know how much God has toiled over our lives. Do the fruits that we're producing look like God? Simple as that. If you have any need, whether it's in person or on Facebook this morning, I hope that you make it known. If not, as we sing the song, then at any point this week, the work that God is doing in these Christians through the Holy Spirit and Acts is still being done in Christians today as often as we gather together and share God's word. If you have any need this morning, won't you make it known right now as we stand and as we sing?